This week on Cinemaholics, we're assembling some surprise guests to review Avengers Endgame, starting with a spoiler-free discussion of the blockbuster event that's already breaking box office records. It does definitely reward the fans who have stuck with it this long and felt the need to keep up with the series through thick and thin. Afterward, all of our spoiler hesitations disappear with a snap. And we have special guests Alicia Grosso and Matt Donato on deck to help us process basically everything this saga by Marvel has been building up to for over a decade. I remember looking around, I was just like, God, it's movies like this that make me realize, like, this is why we go to movies. All that and more is coming up on Cinemaholics. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. He also reviews films for the playlist cut print film and of course Cinemaholics.com. Hello, Lashin. Hey, John. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm in the post game now, so I'm doing great. <laughs> the post end game. Yes. I am the author of the novel Killer Joy, a book about Pixar called The Pixar Theory, and I write about film for Adam Tickets, The Young Folks, and Cinemaholics. I'm John Negroni. Five more episodes, as always, of Cinemaholics on AdamTickets.com, as well as our full archive on Cinemaholics.com want to send us an email our address is cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com and if you'd like to support us and make cinemaholics uh, a podcast that continues and exists and doesn't go away you can become one of our patrons on patreon.com slash cinemaholics now just a few off topics because all we're really going to get into this week is avengers endgame will ashton and i are going to have a spoiler free discussion about the film but because of scheduling conflicts, Will has to step out, and then we're going to do a special spoiler section of the film with two special guests, Alicia Grosso and Matt Donato. So that's going to be coming up later in the show. But Will, I, I'm glad we were at least able to have you for the spoiler-free conversation, although we were joking before this of what what co- what constitutes as spoiler-free, and mm-hmm. we, we kind of had to make a little list together, correct? Yeah, um, I was a little discouraged to uh, think that I couldn't discuss the film uh, at all. So I'm glad that you allowed me the opportunity to at least uh, share my uh, early kind of spoiler-free thoughts about the film. Like you said, it'll be a little tricky not to discuss anything in particular because everything about this film could be considered a spoiler to somebody. So it's hard to say what I can and can't say, but I'll do my best to keep on the uh, the line between spoilers and non-spoilers. Absolutely. Now, before we get into all of that, of course, just a few off topics. First of all, uh, this is basically the only film that I've seen this week, except for Fast Color. I did manage to catch that in theaters before it basically disappeared. It's gone now. That is the new Julia Hart film. Uh, you may know her husband was one of the producers of La La Land. And that, that Fast Color is like this contemplative superhero film. I watched it right after Endgame. Very strange double feature. But have you had a chance to see either that or anything else this week, Will? Uh, not that one. Unfortunately, Fast Colors was not playing anywhere near me. I wanted to see it, but unfortunately, I did not get a chance to. But I did get to see um, Master Z, the Ip Man spinoff film that uh, was in theaters for in our area for about a week. Uh, that was with like Dave Batista, Tony Jaw, and a couple other people. And then I got to see High Life, which is one of your favorite films of the year so far. That's right. And I think you said you liked it. Yeah, I liked High Life. I'm, I don't know. I, I feel like even a couple days later, I'm still kind of mulling it over. It was the first Claire Denise film I've seen, so I don't know if that colored my uh, opinion of the film in one way or another. But 
I did enjoy it. I'm not quite as high on it, uh, no pun intended, as you are, but... <laughs> it's a rough uh, first yeah. film from her catalog, so I hope you're able to check out some of her other entries, because they do sort of inform each other, but that is interesting. And yeah. I think uh, I think you have maybe possibly a little bonus episode you're going to be doing later? Yeah, um, so uh, we want to bring on somebody, a, a, fan, a friend of the show, to discuss Under the Silver Lake which is the uh, somewhat controversial um, follow-up film from, what's the director's name of It Follows? Uh, David Robert Mitchell? Is that it? Because I, I always get him confused with David Gordon Green, so I did not want to say it out loud. But yes, um, the, the director yeah. of It Follows, one of, my, one of my favorite films of the last decade, and mm-hmm. that's why Under the Silver Lake, I think that was in my one of my preview, seasonal preview episodes, and it got pushed and pushed and pushed yeah, by I actually, A24, and it's clearly, yeah, the Andrew Garfield film, right? Yeah, I was looking it over from um, our last summer preview, not the one we recorded last week, but the one mm-hmm. from uh, 2018, and I had it in my honorable mentions, and I was like, wow. You know, I mean, this thing has really been pushed back uh, all the way a full calendar year. Yeah. And so I'm curious to see it. It's not playing in theaters near me, but it's on VOD now. So I, I do want to see it just to have an opinion because, like, basically everyone I know thinks doesn't think the same way about it. People love it. Some people hate it. So I really don't know where I'm going to land on it. So I'm curious to see it sometime this week and then talk about it because yeah, it I've seems like yeah. I've heard it's out of control. Like, it's just completely insane. Yeah, I am curious if you get a chance, John, to hear what you say, especially knowing that you're a big fan of It Follows. And I do like the film a lot, too. Yeah. Yeah, so hopefully that'll be coming out soon. Be able to get that out for you all. And don't forget, our extra milestone is going to be coming out soon. Our patrons already have access to it, but we talked about Seven Samurai with Sam Noland. And so that extra milestone episode is going to be coming out either end of this week. Or I think, actually, yeah, end of this week is probably when you're going to spot that in your podcast feeds. Speaking of which, though, we also did an MCU ranking uh, bonus episode with Sam. Uh, Sam Nolan has just been such a such a busy guy and uh, helping he's us out with so many different things. Hmm? Yeah, he's a trooper. He is. He is. So he's an Avenger. That's what you mean. Hmm. So we we did something that I think I, I don't know if you've even if you've listened to this yet, but I think you at least looked at our list. But Sam and I we we did something that a listener suggested. We recorded a, an entire podcast over two hours of us trying to make a definitive ranking of all 22 marvel cinematic universe films that includes avengers endgame although of course no spoilers in that whatsoever and it really is just like two hours of sam and i compromising and trying to like move things up and down a list making lots of arguments about the films having some surprisingly deep discussions about Marvel films that I never thought we would go into much detail about. Specifically, like Sam has an entire rant of the Incredible Hulk that is pretty awesome. And we we talked a lot about Avengers Age of Ultron, which was surprising. And I know some people have already been a little rankled by our picks, but I I have to be honest, Will, uh, people seem to really enjoy the format because I don't think we've ever gotten this much feedback, almost all of it positive. I think all of it actually at least neutral, if not positive. On something like this. So we're definitely considering doing something like it again in the future because people seem to get a real kick out of it. Hmm. Yeah. Well, do you do you have any ideas as far as like what a future episode in that vein would be? Well, there's, of course, the ranking of every Daniel Craig one liner from a James Bond film. Uh, We're going to rank. Yeah, yeah, we're we're, we're going to rank all of the the times that Mel Gibson should have been canceled. There's all kinds of things going on in, in hmm. our list, but yeah. Otherwise, uh, it's it's been uh, 
kind of a, a big week for Cinemaholics. We did, we had the big Avengers Endgame review that we posted on the site. You can check that out. The ranking is up there too at the moment. And our summer preview was last week. Hope you all enjoyed that. Uh, we got some good feedback, and especially on that format. I think people liked having all the Cinemaholics writers together. That was pretty fun. Yeah, that's always fun to have Sam and Joey on the show. So I'm glad people got a kick out of that. For sure. But without further ado, let's talk Avengers Endgame again. This is going to be spoiler free. Uh, you'll stick around later. We'll let you know when the spoiler section starts. That's when I'm going to be with a couple of extra hosts. And unfortunately, well, you'll have to keep your spoilery thoughts to yourself for now. But uh, yes, Avengers Endgame, it is the 22nd film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which of course kicked off with Iron Man in 2008. It's essentially the part two, but also the finale of last year's Avengers Infinity War, which I enjoyed quite a bit. And Will, I, I think I recall you liking it enough. Like, I don't think you loved it. I don't think you were over the moon or anything, but it seems like you enjoyed it fine. Yeah, I was um, mixed to positive on the film. I actually got a chance to rewatch it yesterday since it's on Netflix, and I wanted to prepare because I didn't do the um, Road to Endgame. 20, is it 21 or 22 films leading up to uh, Endgame? 21, I forget. I think, yeah. 21? Okay. Yeah, so I didn't get a chance to see all of them over again, but I did rewatch Infinity War. And yeah, I mean, I think my problems with the film are still kind of the same. I, do, I did respect some things a little more this time around. Um, I do think... Josh Brolin is really just fantastic in the role of Thanos. I think he brings a lot to that performance. And um, I do applaud, you know, uh, Joe and Anthony Russo for doing what they were able to do with that film, though I don't think it's quite as structurally sound as this film, for instance. But yeah, I mean, there's stuff in there I like for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I still really enjoy Infinity War. One of my favorite Marvel films. If you check out the rankings, it's it's in our top 10. And I like you, I did I did manage to rewatch a lot of these films. I rewatched everything except for The Incredible Hulk and Thor the Dark World. Incredible <laughs> Hulk I haven't seen since theaters, and Thor the Dark World I haven't seen since I saw it I rewatched it a year ago, so I I just didn't see the need to rewatch it again. Yeah. But that said, I mean if you haven't seen Infinity War or at least a, a handful of key Marvel films, this will be a very confusing movie endgame because this one picks up right where Infinity War ended. The villainous Thanos has succeeded. He gathered all of six of the Infinity Stones. He used their powers to do what he set out to do, to wipe out half of all existence in every planet, uh, every creature, because he believes the universe is overcrowded and eventually we're all going to die from lack of resources. Super relatable. So in the last film, we, we systematically saw the fallout of this fatal snap, like one by one, all of the newer Marvel characters who have movies coming out in the next few years, basically everyone outside of the core 2012 Avengers team, with the exception of Nick Fury, were turned into dust, right? So mm-hmm. only only our core folks are left. We've got Iron Man, Captain America, Black Widow, Hawkeye, Hulk, Thor. There are a few outliers like War Machine, although of course he's been around since the first Iron Man, and Rocket and Nebula and Captain Marvel who we just got introduced to. So as Endgame begins, we see the immediate aftermath. Uh, The team comes up with a plan to retaliate against Thanos very, very early on in the film. They want to reverse what he's done, but as you can imagine, it isn't that simple. This is a three-hour movie after all. So we have a clip from the beginning of the film where Captain Marvel, who hopefully you'll remember her from her previous solo film, I don't know how important it is to see that film before this one, but she's now joined the effort to take down Thanos. Here is the clip. He used the stones again. Hey, hey, hey. 
We'd be going in short-handed, you know? Look, he's still got the stones, so... So let's get him. Use them to bring everyone back. Just like that? Yeah, just like that. Even if there's a, a small chance that we can undo this, I mean, we owe it to everyone who's not in this room to try. If we do this, how do we know it's going to end any differently than it did before? Because before you didn't have me. Hey, new girl, everybody in this room is about that superhero life. And if you don't mind my asking, where the hell have you been all this time? There are a lot of other planets in the universe. And unfortunately, they didn't have you guys. I like this one. Let's go get this son of a bitch. All right, that is a clip from Avengers Endgame. It's basically the only clip you can watch because it gives essentially nothing away. Uh, like I said, this is a three-hour film, and it's a really whopping three hours. It's packed with characters, subplots. It feels like three separate movies in some ways. And so many set pieces that only a franchise this sprawling could actually pull off to some amount of success. And, you know, I walked out of this with just the the knowledge that everything we've been investing in is everything that we're expecting to see. But for my money, Endgame is one of those few films with just the right set of circumstances to get away with a lot of things that feel like guilty pleasures, that feel like things that films at this scale would normally trip up on or things that we don't would normally criticize films on but for me it ultimately it it basically delivers on the most important job it set out to do which is make everything that they've been teasing essentially since the first avengers in 2012 actually feel like we were like the journey was worth it like there was a story to tell here that would feel epic that would feel like yeah this should take a few years to build up to will ashton it's hard to do this, but how would you summarize your thoughts on not just this film, but kind of this moment, this contextual moment in film history for better or worse? Yeah. Um, I feel like the term event film gets overused a lot these days. Um, just, in you didn't, the you didn't think of... the mortal engines was an event film, the <laughs> Uh, yeah, not, not so much, but, um, yeah, I, I do think just the amount of films that have, culturally just been at the forefront to lead up to this thing that we have here this like you said three hour monumental huge like rightfully epic film uh it it does feel like a movie event you know a lot of people were anticipating it there's a lot of excitement a lot of uh concerns questions things that weren't going to be clear until you made it past the threshold until the end uh the end of endgame so uh yeah I, i do think that it does feel like in many ways, like that cultural event that was um, the third Lord of the Rings film, the turn of the King, or I think more appropriately, like the um, eighth Harry Potter film, Deathly Hallows part two, like just, it feels like that's the closest I can compare to this experience from a cultural filmmaking cinematic standpoint. But I don't even know if that's those two films can really compare to like, just the like 22 film build up to this and like you said i mean you don't need to see like every single one of those 22 films to fully understand it but at the same time like it, 
there's like a crucial point in this film that relies on like Thor, the dark world. So it's just like a weird sort of like, it, it does definitely reward the fans who have stuck with it this long and felt the need to keep up with the series uh, through thick and thin. And I mean, I've, made it pretty clear on the show that my appreciation of marvel films tends to wane i guess that's uh maybe putting it lightly at times i i tend i tend to like these movies more than i don't there's only like a handful of them or maybe even one or two at most that i just don't like at all i tend to think most of them are at least decent or pretty good but um only like a few that i think really kind of hit like the top tier or like really good films that um i feel like I can relate to other people who like these films as much as they do with this one though. I don't know if I'm quite at like the like five out of five stars. Like this is uh, a territory film, but I'm pretty close to it. I'm definitely thinking this is one of the top tier Marvel movies. One of the most like gargantuan films that also feels very heartfelt and sometimes pretty personal and sincere in a way that I was not anticipating because uh, for me, the film works at its best uh not so much even like the big climactic moments that you anticipate the punching and all that but the smaller moments like the little moments where like at the beginning hawkeye's with his family or uh a later point where one character reunites with another character and like a tender embrace and those moments to me really stick out and i think those moments are what really make this you know, big epic film not have like kind of like this, the burdensome weight of like Age of Ultron, where I felt like really exhausted by the end of that and just really tired with this film. It, it feels not only justified, but kind of earned to have a film of this monumental status uh, come out and be ultimately rewarding for these fans who have stuck with it. Yeah, so I'm surprised to hear you don't like the film at all. You think it's terrible. No, I'm joking, of course. Uh, mm. Yeah, yeah. And it's not a five-star film for me either, but I, I do consider it, at this point at least, absolutely one of the one of the most impressive of these Marvel films with what it pulls off. And you know, yeah, it, it's an accomplishment in many there's, many respects. Yeah, absolutely. And and there are so many things that happen in this film that really justify a lot of complaints I remember hearing after Infinity War. A lot of ones that are very valid of, of that film not really feeling like it its consequences were going to stick because of what we know contextually about this film universe. And it, it's just, it's such a big thing. And that's why going into Endgame, my big priority was, will this actually live up to its own name? Is it going to feel like a definitive conclusion and end? And it does. And and we obviously won't say why or how, and maybe not everyone will agree, but it, I do think it's not just an ending in terms of how do things play out for these characters? How do these loose ends get tied? But it actually wraps up the spirit of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It, it sort of wraps up the sensibility of the Infinity Saga, if, if you would, because those films, have they do have a pretty, you could call it shallow, but they do have a through line of this this struggle between security and freedom captain america represents the the sort of free will you know quasi libertarian whatever happens like we'll do it together and we don't need to make compromises of our our values in order to have security whereas iron man was always about he was more of the whatever it takes i mean he was always that character who was all about like making the best armor, making the best protections so that nothing could happen to them. Whereas 
Captain America was the more proactive Avenger. And that tension, that struggle, which I thought was so wonderfully realized in Civil War, thematically and narratively, it, it does reach a conclusion here in Endgame. And, and that, to me, was a big priority. Also, j- just the fact that this film was able to not be a slog emotionally. You know, obviously, there are somber moments. There, there are really serious moments. There's a lot of death and destruction and all of that. But there are also a lot of laughs. There's also really great character dynamics. There, there are great homages to previous things that have happened in the other films that just make this whole experience feel like, it's maybe cliche to say, but hanging out with a bunch of your friends, a bunch of characters that you know pretty well at this point, they, they've managed, one of the advantages of having lots of films in a sprawling universe is that you know these characters so well that you can just sort of, it, it, there's a lot of intercon- intertextuality with them. You're, you're able to just understand jokes and references and homages very quickly and easily. And that's kind of what I was talking about before. Is like some films try to do this and they don't get away with it. And it's such a mysterious thing. Like sometimes that happens and it doesn't feel Aaron. And I have a feeling some people watching Endgame will call that fan service in, in the negative sense. And they'll call it something that actually prevents this film from being better than it is. But definitely for me, it all sort of gels together. And I, I've only seen the film once. I think you've only seen it once too, but I'm already dying yeah. to see it again. Uh, and that, that, is a big deal because it's so much movie and I'm ready to just dive right back in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very curious to see how this plays upon rewatch. Cause um, I mean, just the, the whole nature of the film being this big, it, it, I do feel a little imposed about seeing it a second time myself, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's a lot of your points. I, I agree with, I think they're very valid. Just um, the nature of the consequences of the series, which, you would think would be a bigger part of the MCU beforehand. Just like the fact that this is a continued series where all these films are interlaced together. I would say with the exception of like, you know, one or two scenes like in homecoming. And like you said, uh, um, invent or Captain America civil war, you really don't get a lot of the, uh, like stakes of what happened or like the, like aftermath of what happened until these other films. And the fallout. Yeah. Yeah. The fallout. Which I, I really I think that's why I actually like the first half of this movie maybe a little more than the second. I feel like the second one might be a little more rewarding. The second half might be a little more rewarding on rewatch, but I just like that the first half of this movie is able to just be kind of subdued and quiet and just tragic laced in a way that, like you said, it's not a slog. It doesn't drag down. It doesn't feel like it's weighted, but it doesn't feel like burdensome as you're watching it. And that's I mean, you know, credit needs to be given to Joan Anthony Russo. That's a huge accomplishment of the directors to carry a film of this shape and size while also focusing so much on these small, intimate moments in a way that feels uh, relatable to a massive audience who, you know, obviously this movie's already making a billion dollars and that they're able to tackle these kind of difficult, somber topics in a way that's relatable to a wide audience. I mean, that's just pretty incredible, honestly. It is, and and we should mention that Christopher Marcus and Stevie Stephen McFeely return to do the screenplay, oh, yeah. and and they do they do pull off a pretty coherent string of almost mini movies. Uh, the first one, it, I, I think, is very clearly trying to be the leftovers, right? And it's it's tackling yeah. that fallout as you were you were discussing. And I know some people have complained about this feeling slower and like, okay, let's get to the fun, let's get to the craziness. And I'm on I'm on your side with this. I, I think that. Uh, not only is it important to the film thematically, because we, we need sort of those stakes. We, we we need to really feel 
to what lengths will these characters go to to fix everything? And I, I love that feeling in the first the first third where you really don't know where things are going to be headed next. It, it, it's such an it's a no pun intended. It's a nebulous moment for a film that I, I give a lot of credit to the marketing for really keeping the bare bones of it intact which is why i feel pretty feel pretty like it's pretty important for us to try and do the same as we talk about it here spoiler free but then also the importance of that first act is to just give us some time to slow down a bit and to hang out with these characters and to really absorb a, a big moment because it's not just a big moment for this universe it's a big moment for each individual character what has just happened and if they had tried to rush it, I think that was the big complaint with Infinity Wars. Like, if they don't really sell the devastation of this, if everything is like immediately fixed, right, as soon as mm-hmm. Endgame starts, that would have been a huge problem. It, it really would have felt like there were no consequences to Infinity War. So I, I was very happy that they they handled that uh, as deftly as they did. But let's talk about let's talk about some of the things you know without getting into details little uh little issues here and there i mean I'm, I'm sure there are things that we could pick at this film for i know for me there, there were some stretches in logic and some sort of like you could call them either plot holes or plot contrivances did, did you find yourself catching a lot of those things or did they distract you at all uh yeah particularly towards the end so i can't really say in any specific details what some of my like questions or quibbles might have been with the plotting or uh, how things and certain things are resolved. But yeah, I mean, I think as far as the general structure of the film is concerned, I am only impressed. Like, I, I just think it's pretty remarkable. They, like you said, stuffed this much movie into one single film cinematic event and uh, able, they were able to make it flow as well as they ultimately did. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, some of those gaps were, there were things that, I just wish the film had done a better job. I, I wish that we had gotten the rules explained a little bit better in a few key areas regarding some big plot moments. Uh, I just wish that they had established, I wish it had just been tighter so that we wouldn't have to be asking so many questions uh, uh, sort of in the aftermath. And we won't talk about it now, but yeah, there's so many implications that this film sort of raises for other films that on the one hand are, are interesting, right? I was like, okay, I, I want to see how this how this affects a movie like Spider-Man Far From Home. I want to see how mm-hmm. this affects Black Panther 2. But then also another part of me is like, this feels like a lot to explain in other movies. It's a good thing that everyone is watching Endgame. It, it is it, like, it, it's breaking every record imaginable right now. First, first film to ever make over a billion dollars and the weekend isn't even over. Uh, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's going to really help screenwriters who are trying to factor in this this big comic book event, which is what, that's what it really is, in a, in a way that makes sense for other films and, and their stories. But it, it, are there any weak links for you here in the film? Like, Did you feel like there were characters that got their due and others that didn't for you? Um, yeah. I mean, like I, I thought Captain Marvel kind of like conveniently came and left as far as this film is concerned. Yeah. That's what um, I, was gonna bring I know. Up for like, sure. Yeah. I mean, I know she filmed herself before Captain Marvel. So I think they just kind of put her in 
you know, to establish her in the uh, MCU beyond the first film that she did. And, you know, I mean, it was fine. It just kind of felt like it was thrown in there and in the scheme of things. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I I didn't really get as much as as much as Captain Marvel as I was expecting, truth be told. But, you know, I mean, that's how it goes. Um, Otherwise, um, yeah. And and I'll I'll say quickly, like, it's a good thing she just had her own movie. Otherwise, I would definitely be yeah. like, well, more, <laughs> right? Like, I, I want more of this yeah. character. But it is nice that we did just get an entire film with her. So hopefully, moving forward, she will, will have more of a presence, uh, you know, depending on how this film shakes out. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I mean... I would like to see more Linda Carnelli in any film. I know we just had the curse of Lola Rona where she was a lead and it's still kind of sad that she is in a movie like this. And she has, I think a single line. <laughs> uh, I think her one line, in the film is soups on and like, that's it. <laughs> well, so, you know, that said, Cardellini had her time to shine in green book. We just spent a whole movie with her and I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I know she's not like uh, one of the, the bigger characters in the MCU, but not um, yet. Yeah. But they, they have, they yeah, well, do I, have this sort of like Hawkeye inspired show coming out. So I guess maybe. that means she's going to be showing up in some capacity on Disney plus perhaps who knows. Yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah, I don't know who it can really talk about without uh, getting close to spoiler territory. So yeah, I'll leave it at that. I suppose. Yeah, I, I th- there is one character in particular I'll talk about later who just I, I is a big question mark for me at the moment, and I know it's a character who's going to show up in the TV shows, and I don't really understand it. Another thing too is that there is a conclusion to one big character moment in this film that has people really scratching their heads that actually I will say worked for me because uh, I think you just have to sort of piece it together for yourself. This does feel like a movie in some some ways, either negatively or positively, that does require a little bit of contemplation on some of the implications and how things happen, why they happen the way they did, and also maybe some like looking into research and, and different things online for explanations, right? Of like, end game ending explain like things like that i think those are going to be pretty valuable for people who are really confused and they just want to kind of maybe get somebody's take on what just happened but other than that yeah there's not too much else we can say so let's let's just get into our final thoughts for now and then we'll do the full-on spoiler discussion uh will ashton yeah to sum things up it it seems like you're pretty high up in the film. It it seems like it did live up to that promise of going all the way back to the the first Iron Man. So as you go into your final thoughts, I mean, what was it really that you wanted this film to accomplish most of all? And do you feel like Endgame delivered on that for you? Yeah, I mean, I've kept up with the MCU um, since they first came out. I mean, the first uh, Iron Man film, which uh, I was telling you this off the air, I incidentally um unintentionally end up seeing avengers endgame in the same theater where i saw uh, iron man 1 11 years earlier so it's kind of a weird uh, unintentional connective circle that happened while i was at the movies this weekend so that was a nice little kind of sweet thing i thought about in uh, retrospect but um yeah i mean i think we pretty much said everything i i do think as just a film that i know it's not like the end of the series the same way like return of the king was or deathly hollows i mentioned earlier like there's still some loose things that are going to kind of 
continue on or like some characters are going to continue to be in films that we know about coming or moving forward. But yeah, as this uh, film is, it it does put a cap on the MCU as we know it right now. Like, I don't think there's going to be another film that they can do this to this scale and to like this magnitude and with this many consequences and resolves and all that. So yeah, I mean, it does feel like the end of like this, one cinematic universe that uh, in the scheme of things, like every studio in Hollywood has tried to copy this format and nobody has really put in the legwork that MCU has ultimately had. They just kind of want the results before they can get them. And I think that with this film, you, you do see ultimately like why they put so much work, why they put so much energy into things, even though I do think in this broad scheme of things, the, the MCU formula might've hurt some, in the, some films individually. They could have made them less, solid as their own individual films i do think looking at this as a series as a 22 film installment where this is like the the end chapter as far as we know things right now i think it is like it's a triumph in that respect i mean it's a film that shouldn't work it's a film that shouldn't be good let alone as good as ultimately is here so i mean beyond a maybe nitpicks and minor quibbles i might have about the film it is a monumental success, and I don't know if we'll ever get a film quite like it. And uh, it, like I think you were saying this earlier uh, off the air, I don't know if there will be another cultural moment quite like this for yeah. some time. So, yeah, it's it's fascinating. And, you know, I think even though I'm kind of a Fairweather fan of the series, I do feel like this is a satisfying conclusion or as satisfying as we can ultimately hope to get for the series. So um, I'm going to give it I'm between a B plus and a minus. I'm going to go a little soft and say B plus just because I don't know if I'm going to love the film later on. I might need to rewatch it. I don't know if I'm going to be quite a territory yet, but I'm feeling pretty high on the B pretty high on the B plus right now. I'm, I'm shocked actually. We're so close in opinion on a Marvel film, honestly. And yeah, I, I was kind of wondering the same thing. It was like when I walked out, I was feeling like, yeah, is this a B plus or are we in the A territory? And I, I think I, I do put it in the A minus personally because I do think for me, as we've talked about, A films are are must watches, and that doesn't mean that everyone who's going to watch Avengers Endgame is going to have as great an experience as some of us. But I do think it's a must watch in the sense of, as far as films go, it really fits that does it matter category at least in terms of film history. I, I think this is a, a huge moment in film history, not just because they did this thing, but because they did it so well. And they actually, they, this this is a forerunner to sprawling franchises of this magnitude that are hopefully going to be even better, even more narratively coherent. And as just big pop culture watersheds, this is going to enable and inspire a lot of filmmakers to go out and make bigger and better things. And it's it's for the same reason that I think like Lord of the Rings Return of the King, one of one of the best franchise closers in history before The Hobbit came out. And and, and I mean like <laughs> in the sense of it being a franchise closer, not that The Hobbit is better. But Return of the King was very similarly was such a big swing. It it was such a big experiment in filmmaking that that film too paved the way for a Marvel cinematic universe. And so the fact that Endgame does feel like such a satisfying culmination even if it is imperfect, even if it's a little rough around some edges, it it really does capitalize on these films' biggest capital, which it's the character work. It's the fact that Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. and Mark Ruffalo and Scarlett Johansson and Jeremy Renner, they are just some of, and Chris Hemsworth, excuse me, are just some of the most 
likable actors working right now in general. And a lot of that is because of their dynamic on Avengers from film to film. I'm almost a little disappointed, actually, that we didn't get to really have Joss Whedon involved at some point as they finish this out. But I do like that the Russo brothers had their hands on this. Uh, This could be constituting a minor casting spoiler, not actually relevant to any revelations. But if you're a fan of how the Russos have been weaving in actors from community, this is a holy grail of that for sure. Won't give away who uh, shows up. Yeah, I I think there's only two primary cast members that didn't ultimately get into the series. Am I correct with that? If you don't count Donald Glover because he was in Spider-Man Homecoming, because some people say right, that know, it has but... to be at a Russo Brothers film, but oh well. I, yeah, I think but I th- for me, it's two left. Yeah, okay. So uh, maybe uh, yeah. Spider-Man Far From Home, we might get two more, but we'll see. Yeah, I think this is the end of the community thing, which is a shame, but I was, I, I'm was i glad they got as many cast members as they ultimately did in the film. Yeah, I, I think we should, we should definitely say the Russo Brothers have been in this franchise, in this cinematic universe, making these films since Winter Soldier, of course, uh, that came out in 2014. So, in a lot of ways, it, it doesn't just feel like an end to the the characters that like the core team and everything. It doesn't just feel like the conclusion to that saga. It also feels like a, possibly a conclusion to what the Russos their involvement. Uh, I could definitely I, maybe they'll come back. I don't know for sure actually, but. If if they walked away at this point, oh, I, think, I think they'd be walking out on a really high note. Yeah, I think they said they're done. Like I, yeah. I don't blame them. You know, like I, <laughs> for sure. I think them and the the screenwriters are like, we need a vacation. Like you know, <laughs> call us in like five years. You know, just don't, just leave us be for a minute. <laughs> this That's is too great, much though, for because yeah. I do I do feel like they they're leaving it in a place where they can pass a torch, and that that too fits kind of the spirit of this film. And I like the idea of uncharted territory from here on out and who knows what's going to happen is this is probably the peak mcu for a long time i think that's that's a pretty reasonable prediction we're still going to get mm-hmm. films and a lot of them are probably going to be pretty good but it's never going to be the same after this and i like that i i like that who knows what's going to happen next it's that feeling i remember having after the last jedi another kind of recent big blockbuster that played around with this sort of how how do franchises really fit the narratives of the films themselves? And yeah, I, I definitely have that high feeling to go out on. But we're going to talk about all this and more as we get into our spoiler discussion. When we come back, Alicia Grosso and Matt Donato will be here with us. And uh, But for now, uh, Will Ashen, you have to step out. But thanks, of course, as yeah. always, for talking big Marvel films. I feel like who knows how many <laughs> we've done at this point on Cinemaholics. Yeah, I think we've done about four or five, and this is like the only time besides uh, Black Panther where I think we're on the same page. So that's yeah. nice, at least. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. All right, we'll be back in a moment. Hello and welcome back. We are here to do a spoiler discussion about Avengers Endgame. If you have not seen Avengers Endgame and you do not want to know any plot details, any big secrets, we are going to be discussing them all. Unfortunately, Will had to step out. So if you want to hear our spoiler-free section and somehow you missed that, you were skipping around and getting a little bit too crazy with the fast-forward button, 
you can check the show notes and go right to that discussion instead. But I have two guests here who are going to help talk Avengers Endgame and really hopefully not just talk about this film in a little bit more detail, but maybe talk about some of the implications it sets up for Marvel movies in general and how we're feeling about this movie so soon after seeing it. So first off, we have Alicia Grouso. Alicia, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Super well. So Alicia, for for those who haven't listened to you on the show before, uh, where do you write for? What's your deal? Um, I am the editorial lead for Adam Tickets, A-T-O-M Tickets. For those of you that use it, you know what it is. For those of you that don't, it's like Fandango, but um, has a few different things that make it really cool. Uh, Or you can find me yelling on Twitter like all the time, pretty much. So yes, in other words, you're my boss. uh, So great to have you on. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then of course we have, we have another person who has been on the show before, uh, Matt Donato. It's good to have you back. It's been a while. Pleasure to be back. Thanks for having me. Same deal, Matt. I feel like it's, I think the last time we had you on was maybe for Coco, one of our biggest episodes ever. And since you left, it just hasn't been the same. But uh, for people who've forgotten, uh, what what is your what is your internet status? Who are you? Uh, internet status is you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd at Donato Bomb. And my writing is I, I mean at this point it's everywhere. Not to brag or anything, <laughs> um, but Alicia is also my boss, so you can find some yes. of my writing at Adam, Adam Insider, as well as Slash Film, Dread Central, Bloody Disgusting. Uh, if you ever pick up a copy of Fango, I'm in a few of those volumes. And yeah, just uh, follow along on the internet and see where I pop up next. I feel like I should be wearing a golden gauntlet right now. <laughs> Do not snap us. Infinite <laughs> power. <laughs> it's like well, one will disappear, the yeah, other. Yeah, one of us disappears forever. <laughs> All right, well, that already means we're getting into actual Avengers Endgame details. This is... Your last chance. And I want to start this off because we're not going to be talking about this movie beat by beat. That would take forever, obviously. Hopefully we're going to cover some broad strokes. We're going to cover some things about this film that contextualize how we feel about it and our feeling of excitement going into, or feeling of dread, maybe, going into other films now that we've, we're sort of done with this chapter. The the Infinity Gauntlet saga, all of that. It's basically over at this point. So all spoilers starting now. And I want to start off actually with something that probably won't be get a lot of spoilers, which is how, how did you watch this film? And, you know, tell me more about your theater experience. So listeners can have kind of an idea of how you got to see this. Uh, starting with you, Alicia, what, what was that experience like? I actually want to know Matt's first because Matt literally just got out of seeing it for the first time. Very excited. So to I want to let yes. him go first. Yeah. So I want to let him go first because I'm You're I've the been boss, waiting to so. hear what he thinks. <laughs> I'll take it. All right. So as Alicia just said, I did just leave a screening of Avengers Endgame. I unfortunately missed my press screening. So I had to do a 12 o'clock on a Sunday public screening. Um, it was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I will admit that. I go into these public screenings sometimes. I've been spoiled. You're a snob. I am. No, no. I am 100%. I can't stand people taking their phones out. I can't stand the talking throughout the whole movie. You can't and, stand your name okay. isn't on the seat, and so it's a big problem. And... Right, exactly. It's not reserved, and I have to sit with the commoners. It's it's really just not my thing. Um, but yeah, it was really well well behaved. The only thing I would say was um, the three hour runtime. I know everyone on Twitter was joking about you know like oh when am I going to go to the bathroom blah blah blah. So at least once every five seconds, somebody was getting up and like moving to go to the bathroom and. It was a little distracting in the sense that everyone knew how long this movie was. Everyone like 
had their own planned potty breaks, I would say, and none of them were uh, synchronized. So there was always movement in the theater, and there's always somebody like kicking around or apologizing or something like that. And it was a bit distracting, but even that, I mean, the movie was so good that everyone was just captivated the whole time. And there are scenes I'm sure we will discuss. The entire theater just erupted. And I, I don't think I've ever been in a screening that's had this many like scream out moments where people just lost their stuff. And I mean, my only comparison point was when Kevin Smith saw Infinity War uh, with us in our press screening and cried like a baby at some moments. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was the only time I ever had that kind of experience. <laughs> so now I know why you skipped your press screening. You were just trying to avoid yeah. another. I was afraid yeah. Kevin Smith was going to share again. <laughs> Sounds awesome. So yeah, I I had a very different experience compared to that because we were not allowed to have food or drink in our theater. I saw this at the Dolby Laboratories in San Francisco. And yeah, so we had no, no, no food, no beverage. It was really cool. But it was also like, you could tell some people were getting a little stupid. Nobody got up, nobody left. So that was a nice little advantage. But uh, what about you, Alicia? How did you see this one? Um, I saw it twice. I saw it bright and early, 9 a.m. Uh, for the first press screening they did at uh, Disney Studios, um, and there were some like kids and and you know friends and family there. But that was a fun screening. But I have to say, I think I preferred the public screening that I did with my friends on Thursday night preview night. Mm. Um, we're huge Marvel. We're just movie fans, so like we always, even if I see something uh, ahead of time, I always go with them. And we did last year. We saw. Um, uh, Infinity War, the El Capitan in Hollywood, which was amazing. And it's movies like this. Like at one point I looked around at the one scene that got the biggest cheer in the movie. Um, and I remember looking around, I was just like, God, it's movies like this that make me realize like, this is why we go to movies. Like, this is why the theatrical experience still matters. Like that communal shared joy or grief or, that kind of electricity you can feel in the theater when you look at somebody that's you don't even know and sitting next to you and they're like crying or it's just that shared like common experience. And I know that people push for streaming and Netflix and it's amazing. It's changed things, but there's still nothing like going to a huge um, event movie like this with like-minded people who are all just excited to be there as you and kind of feeding off that energy. Well, so we're allowed to do sports, right, John? Oh, of course. Okay, so I was going to say, Alicia, what was the scene that your theater erupted at most? Because, I mean, mine was when um, Captain America calls Thor's hammer. Yeah, easily. Yeah, easily. I was yeah. Make sure that was the same one. Yeah. Because, it yeah. Went yeah. nuts. Like, because that's something from the comics. And it's also was teased in Age of Ultron. And you know right. that at some point, you know Cap's going to, like, this was Cap's movie. This was Captain America's arc, his movie, his, you know, and, and, um, and there were a lot of moments in the in the book, like the the shot. Also, the other one was when it was all the you know, it was like a, Peter Parker, you know, God bless. Is like I don't know, how you're going to get through all those people, and then you know, don't worry, she has help. And then that was like, I was like, well, there's your A four shot right there of yeah. all the the female Avengers, um, and that was another one that people that have you know read the comics got really excited about. But even if you haven't read the comics, just seeing like. Steve Rogers picking up the hammer hammer and then just wailing on Thanos. Like, how do you not cheer? That was the moment in infinity War where Thor showed up with the hammer and arrived in Wakanda. And you were like, right. Oh, you're going to get messed up now, Thanos. Like, and it was that same feeling. 
Well, I want to go into my experience really quick, too, because Alicia, like you're saying, even if you're not a fan of the comics, and I can say that I did not read the comics growing up. I'm not a comic book kid. So I went into this entire MCU from the start of Iron Man without any, you know, I know the characters, I know the stories, but I didn't have that, like, encyclopedic knowledge of all the comic book intricacies. So I've been watching this entire MCU as a new viewer, I guess you could say, as a rookie. And it, I agree with you 100% because I can still get the gravity of all these moments in Endgame. Um, and it plays so well to any crowd, really. That is that is the greatest aspect of this film, I think. So it sounds like, to me, you both at least kind of liked the movie. I, I was going to ask, actually, uh, general impressions. But it sounds like you're pretty high on it. And, you know, Matt, I feel like the times you and I have talked, we've never really gotten into... Marvel movies in general. We we had you on for Logan, and I remember you you talked a bit about how you really liked Logan because you felt like it was so different from the really yeah. popular Marvel films. So you know, on that note of being kind of a newbie to the Marvel comics and all of that stuff, how how are you feeling about this chapter in general right now? Are, are you feeling like Endgame was satisfying? Are you feeling like it hit a bar for you that maybe other Marvel crossover movies didn't? I don't I don't even know what you thought of Infinity War. Um, okay, so give me a few minutes. I'll hash it all out. I will try to do it as quickly as possible. <laughs> but all right, to start, Infinity War did not impress me tremendously. I don't think Infinity War was the crossover that we kind of deserved at the time. And I will say that that led to a general overall dissection of the MCU and its inability to kind of handle stakes. And at that point, I'm just talking about up until Infinity War. I wrote this whole article about how the MCU doesn't know how to handle these like gravitational moments that should be so affecting and so destructive. And I would always leave these MCU movies kind of going like, well, we know everything's going to be okay. We know there's five more planned movies with that one character that's in danger. So nothing's going to come of that. I didn't think they played their cards right. I didn't think the MCU was good at selling the danger in its films. And then Endgame happened. And now I'm eating my words because I think Endgame is, it's the trump card kind of for the entire MCU. It sat there going like, yeah, there have been no real tremendous stakes outside of, I'm going to say Guardians of the Galaxy is the only subset of MCU films that actually understood how to take these emotional moments and turn them into something that stay with you. Uh, Yondu's death, um, when Groot dies, the you know, quote unquote, dies the first time. Those are the only he does. Oh, that's a death. Because mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to define it, but yeah, yeah. So as a death, those yeah. are the only moments that actually choked me up and made me go like, "Wow, these movies are more than entertainment." And again, Endgame to me is just laying all the cards on the table. The MCU saying, "You know, we built all these moments up. We haven't really handled them to the full capacity." And now we're just going to barrage you. We're just going to hit you over and over again for three hours with every payoff that you could ever want. And I, I put this right up there with honestly the best in the MCU. You know, I, I gave Guardians a five out of five. I think Guardians two is like my second favorite. Sam's two other films. I, I mean, Endgame is right up there in my top three now. All right, uh, Alicia Grasso. We did an MCU yes. ranking. Uh, this past week, uh, Sam Nolan and I did, and we we kind of collaborated oh, no. on the list together. 
And it was really fun. We got to negotiate and do all of that stuff. But one thing I really pushed for was putting Avengers Endgame as my number one. And so it sounds like, Matt, you have it in your top three. Uh, what about you, Alicia? You don't have to put it in an exact place unless you want to. But where, where does this fall on the on the map for you? Oh, John, you know how I feel about rankings. That you oh. love them and you love discussing Rank them it. and committing to them. Yes. Uh, sure. Yeah, I, I love rankings. I've, I'm <laughs> super public about how much I love rankings. Um I do want to say real I, quick too, you'll be happy. We put Ant-Man and the Wasp a lot higher. So, and I know you really like that one. I, man, that, see, that's, this is a tough one because I feel like Endgame almost stands apart from the rest of the movies in the MCU um, because of what Matt said. There's so many, there's so many payoffs. Uh, and I mean, this is literally the culmination of 22 movies with all these different loose ends being tied up and all these character beats that were earned. So it almost feels unfair to compare this one to the rest of the movies. It was a lot messier than some of the other films. Um, but, but in terms of pure fan service and in payoff and, and moments that were earned, this movie by far beats the rest of the, of the MCU. So I would, I would put it in my top five. I'll say, I would say, I still feel like guardians one winter soldier, like those still, those still top top it for me. Um, but maybe I put this as like, yeah, it would be at least my top five. I think that is a pretty good lead in into something that was very important for me going into this movie. I mentioned it in the spoiler free section that the story arcs and the way that they wrap up, that, that's such a big priority. That, that's something that they really had to nail with this movie. So so let's kind of talk about it because the, the film sort of starts off clearly ripping, not ripping off, I guess, but replicating, if you will, the the idea of the leftovers, right? And and really sitting and, and steeping in this idea that half the universe has disappeared and, and the grieving, the mourning and trying to move on. And, and I personally, I really like that that was a theme that they put in there. I just didn't love exactly how that theme followed all the way through necessarily, but it, I guess it still works because it, it does feel like you were saying, Alicia, the payoffs go way beyond just this standalone experience. It, it really is the story arc between Tony and Captain America over the course of all these films. So I want to ask, starting with you, Matt, I, what were the arcs that worked for you and what were the ones that didn't? We'll be positive first, I guess, but was there like a character journey here that you thought really stood out? Yeah. And I will play right off of what you said about the leftovers opening with uh, Clint Barton and Hawkeye, mm. because I think he is one of the best arcs that is treated in this entire film after not really getting him in infinity war. And again, going back to my disinterest, we'll say in the end of infinity war, because I sat there going, okay, we've just watched all these mass marketable known heroes that Marvel is not going to let go disappear. Why do we care? Because this is all going to get fixed in Endgame, And then Endgame starts with not heroes dying, we see Clint's family die. They are they drift away in the dust and snap. And Clint, who has been trying to put this all behind him and kind of live the normal life, is basically provoked back into action by something that he really didn't even have any part in. And for me, I'm just sitting there going like, this is the moment that made me feel something and made me understand 
oh no, this snap really did have tremendous implications. Besides the fact that we know half of the world is gone. I understand that. It's a terrible thing. But that opening moment of Endgame puts Clint on this dark, devastating path that, you know, he is a hero and he has all these abilities that others don't. And he just goes straight up assassin with them. And he goes the, the rogue route and then only to get brought back in and basically have nothing to lose. So he has to become the hero that, you know, the reluctant hero in a way. And I think that was handled very well. I loved seeing him back. Honestly, I'm a huge Hawkeye stan, and I don't really care if that's a bad thing. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to say that that was probably my favorite arc. And again, this is why Endgame is so effective. And where they jump from that, again, is just insane to me in the sense that like, you start with that opening where his family dies, and in no time we're at Thanos and Thor's swing of the axe with Thanos. Yeah, I don't know. This movie was just a wallop. So what about you, Alicia? Uh, story arcs that stood out for you, uh, it can be positive or negative. Um, I would say that first I'll disagree with you, Matt. Shocker. I know we're all surprised. Um, I think there were genuine stakes in Infinity War because the people that were coming out of it saying, uh, you know, well, we but we know these characters aren't dead for good because they have movies coming up. And my argument, my counter argument for that was always, but the characters don't know that. So for the characters, those stakes were real. And if you're viewing it in terms of what happens to the characters that you care about, then there were really, there were real emotional stakes because they don't know what you know. Um, and so for me, I feel like the emotional stakes in Endgame work better than it might have for, for you, Matt. Um, in Did Infinity you, or sorry, Infinity War, I meant. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Infinity War I meant, not Endgame. Um, but uh, Endgame, I feel like, man, there were a lot of arcs that I really liked. There was one in particular I did not. Uh, but the one that I thought was uh, really kind of resonated with me was Natasha, uh, Black Widow. I thought that she was kind of the emotional glue that held the first act, uh, even like two acts together. I really appreciated that they had allowed her to be so raw and vulnerable and it showed how far she's come um, as, you know, that kind of like stone cold assassin who always puts her emotions behind a mask to, uh, you know, Natasha that is, is openly weeping when she's at, you know, Tony's house and asking him to come help them and please, you know, help them bring their friends back. Um, I thought, she was phenomenal. And I thought that her death, there was a payoff there that felt so earned because it was unexpected. Like I cried far harder at her death than I did at Tony. I mean, I definitely cried when Tony died, but that was kind of expected. It was either him or cap. Like you knew it was one of them and they've been, it's been building up to Iron Man since the first Avengers. Mm -hmm. Um, so I cried a lot harder, uh, when Natasha died than when Tony did. Because she is truly the glue that holds the Avengers together. And you saw that in the scene afterward where they're all standing near the lake and they just don't even know how to process it because she's always the the heart and kind of the the, the glue of the team. Um, so I really loved her arc. I did not love Thor's arc. Um, I was going to say, was it Thor's arc or Hulk's arc that you didn't like? <laughs> Hulk, no, Hulk was great. Hulk was great. Um, and that was very he's much the credible the Hulk now, thankfully. Yeah, that was that was very much in the comic books. I didn't like Thor's arc. Um, don't get me wrong, I love Thor Ragnarok. I actually that would that's also my top like five. I love Thor Ragnarok, but I did not need 
the like super like campy like su- like I, I didn't need the Thor the Ragnarok version of Thor dropped into the middle of Endgame and it felt like his whole storyline I understand that they wanted to explore grief and PTSD and repressed trauma but I think the way they did it was way too heavy-handed and kind of just a running like fat joke and I it just didn't it didn't work for me I thought there was a, a much more poignant way they could have played that um it just felt really like we didn't need wacky Thor in this movie in particular. Hmm. That's interesting. I think I need to watch the movie again to really just figure out what I think of Thor at the moment. Cause I, I, th- I think I do. I maybe agree with what you're saying because I did have a moment when he joins the guardians of the galaxy. Right. And he's, you know, as guardians of the galaxy, all that stuff. And I didn't feel anything, which I should yeah. have. Cause Thor Ragnarok is one of my favorite films in the MCU. And when he passes it to Tessa Thompson, I was like, okay, well, I guess this is fine. But I I had an issue, I guess, with how quickly they were to drop the whole reluctant King angle for him. You you spent all these movies with Thor building up to him being the ruler of Asgard. And now he's just sort of ditching that responsibility. And for that, that didn't quite land with me either. Uh, What about you, Matt? I don't, I mean, I get what you're saying, Alicia, 100% with the campy Thor, and I, I, I was expecting that to be the arc you didn't like. Um, I also think... You know look, me so well. <laughs> I, I know. But uh, no, I think the scene where he gets to see his mother one more time, when he's back in time, and he's with um, you know, Rene Russo's character, and that gutted me. I, I mean, him just admitting all these faults and you know, the reluctant king, I, I get what you're saying, that they did drop it really hard. But he has that moment of just such human emotion for a god king. And I think that played well. I, I, don't, I think the camp was hiding something the entire time. And then it all comes out in that one scene where he's confessing just how not okay he is. And how he's an idiot. And how he just acts on impulses and... I actually kind of liked his arc. I, I'm going to say that rescued the arc for me. That one scene where uh, he's just sitting with his mom, just being openly honest. I, I think Endgame, it, it's just, it shows how Endgame understands how all these arcs had to pay off. Yeah, I think I, that's right. I won't say that I did. I love that scene with his mom. And it's, I try to, if I don't like something in a movie, I try to sit back and go, okay, was that me putting my own personal like expectations on it? Or is it that it truly didn't work? And I, and I, to, through two screenings, I was like, okay, you know what? It's been two movies now. Like I've watched it twice. It still doesn't quite work for me. I appreciate the story and the arc they were telling. I just don't like the way they, I, I didn't like the tone and w- with which they told it, if that makes sense. It just felt really kind of wildly inconsistent to me. You mean, you mean Thor playing Fortnite with Korg and Meek? And <laughs> yeah. Oh, and you're then, right. Like, the best scene was, in the movie, of course. And yeah, and then it was like a Hawaiian shirt, just like Taika Waititi would do. <laughs> yeah, and then like he gets the hammer back. And I'm like, how the hell is he worthy at this point? He's literally abandoned his people for beer and Fortnite. I'm like, I was very, and then it was like he had that talk with his mom, and and I get that, but then all of a sudden, I don't. It was just a very like it was a very tonally inconsistent thing, and it almost felt like they were trying to thread that storyline through to match his what was coming in guardians three and i i was like can we just let him have 
like gravitas and like, like a, like, can we just let him be that instead of that wacky Thor Ragnarok version of Thor? Because I think he's earned that. And it, it felt a little bit like everything he earned in infinity war was kind of undone in some ways. So personally it didn't work for me. I totally understand why it works for other people. It just didn't work for me personally. Sure. Sure. I think he, I think he did have some gravitas in Thor Ragnarok uh, specifically with his scenes with his dad. Were, were the ones that that's kind of why it's my favorite is it I think it is an example of where it's handled well and I think to what you're saying maybe this was just missing one or two scenes that could maybe put something else with this like wacky Thor to make it all make sense it, it's the pieces are there but I think I can agree that they don't always come together I do want to say real fast I I really appreciate it because we mentioned Taika Waititi's cameo I really like that they had some of the directors of some of the biggest films in here Waititi of course yeah. uh, they had one of the Russo brothers in the in the grief counseling scene uh, Jim Starlin not a director but you know legendary um, guy yeah. from Marvel Comics and then uh, I was, it was really nice to see John Favreau uh, pop up as well toward the end. I was just, I don't know. I, I part of me was kind of looking around. I was like, is Josh Whedon going to show up? Is it, are they cool yet? Like, what are we talking about here? Let's didn't happen though. Unfortunately, I don't it think was, he's not cool. It, it was really fan servicey, but I was, I was like, Oh man, this is so fan servicey. But I'm like, but you know what? Damn it. This has earned it. Like if any movie franchise has earned the pandering and like, sure, we're going to bring all of our greatest hits back. It was like a greatest hits album. I'm like, you know what? You earned it. Like I'm into this. So that didn't bother me. I definitely think yeah, there's a I, fine line between pandering and simply like, because to me, it's only a problem if it gets in the way of the, the things that should be adding the weight, the things that should be, you know, artful. And I, there weren't a lot of moments in here that I, I think could be mistaken for, for fan service in the bad sense, but that's just my opinion. But you were going to say Matt. Okay. Yeah. And I just wanted to go back to, uh, the, the Natasha death for the soul stone, uh, what you were saying before Alicia, because I go back to infinity war and I think about the Gamora Thanos scene, which is basically the same thing. Uh, Thanos had to throw his daughter off and get the soul stone. And that kind of left me cold and emotionless. But in Endgame, we have Natasha and Clint basically fighting over who gets to sacrifice themselves for the team, for earth, for everything. And that's how they get the soul stone. And I was like a wreck after that. Like that was one of the scenes I think that took me down the most uh, crying wise. And that is also when I knew, you know, Endgame like had a hundred percent hooked me and it earns every bit of the choked up tears that I oddly had during this movie that I really haven't had in any MCU movie besides the guardians ones. What did you tell me after you got out? You were like, I wanted to be divisive, but I can't. <laughs> I like, did. I want, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I want to be the divisive voice here. I'm not like the Marvel like lover. Like, I don't walk out of all Marvel movies going like, you know, I'm the same high as everybody else. So I really was expecting to come out of Endgame just like I did for Infinity War. I came out of Infinity War and I was like, sure, that's a movie. That's fine. I came out of Endgame and literally I'm walking down the New York streets, kind of like wiping tears from my eyes going like, who the, who the hell am I right now? <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad it got you an existential crisis. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm brothers. spiraling hard, dude. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's nice that we could, you know, talk to you like right after seeing the movie. So we have a nice little diversity of, you know, time and distance and like who's processing and who's not. Uh, and because you brought it up, the whole Gamora thing, I know a big criticism of Infinity War, one that I sympathize with, was this feeling of, 
are these deaths really permanent? Marvel sort of trained us to never think these deaths are permanent. But what I really appreciate about Endgame is they found a clever way to really nail it home. It was like, no, Heimdall, Loki, and Gamora are dead. They're the non-snap deaths, right? The main ones, at Although- least. Although... We do have a, a alternate timeline Loki now right. wreaking havoc with the Tesseract, which I love. Right. That's that's what I mean by clever. And they, they found a way to make Gamora's death still mean something. She she didn't just get brought back. I, I was almost expecting Captain America to bring her back after retrieving, you know, returning the Soul Stone. Maybe he comes back with Black Widow. And so maybe that death isn't permanent, but no, that didn't happen. And I really like that. I, I like that it felt more definitive of like, no, that Gamora death was real. So when you rewatch Infinity War, that's going to land way harder, right? Because that Gamora is gone. That Gamora that we spent time with in the first Guardians movies, we're never going to engage with that character again from what it looks like. But they still have a way of keeping her in the future movies while still it has like a runway like you can you can have a story there and so i, I want to say that's something that i really appreciate and i think it's actually maybe sort of fun to think about how they've gone back in time time heist everyone loves time heist probably and by creating all these branching timelines this is literally marvel being like hey you know the what if sort of comics I was gonna say this, is their what, this is their what if run yeah it's it's kind of a genius marketing move it's like the disney plus can you can have all kinds of standalone movies and multiverse realities that play with the Marvel sandbox in any way that they want to do. I'll be upset if they don't do it in a way that like really lives up to that <laughs> creativity. If they don't, I'll be I'll be disappointed, but I love the idea that they could do something really cool coming up. They could do a Logan kind of situation if they wanted to. So time will tell though. Like that's what I think the Black Widow solo movie, which is supposed to still be happening, I have a feeling that's how they're going to handle that. But what, what do you think about the future of Marvel in, in that sense, uh, Alicia? Do you think that they could be going down that road? Uh, they could. I, I think this sets up an interesting uh, role reversal for Guardians 3 and that for this movie, for the first couple of Guardians movies, it was Gamora who had a family, a found family in the Guardians and Nebula who was kind of off on her own and trying to figure herself out. Now it's a role reversal. Nebula's the one with the Guardians and has truly found her family and made peace with who she is. And it's this uh, you know, past Gamora who has not met the Guardians yet, has not fallen in love with Peter Quill, has not you know, fought alongside them for the past nine years, who now with her father dead and her kind of mission over, now she's the one that's kind of out there in the universe um, having to figure out who she is and what her place in the world is where Nebula is the one. So I think that sets up a really interesting um, role reversal there. I'm frankly, I'm way more interested in their relationship than Thor. I love Thor. I love Peter Quill. I don't need to see a dick measuring contest. Like I don't care. Um, I'm much more interested in seeing Gamora and um, Nebula and that much more nuanced, um, you know, kind of rivalry and, and love there. I think, I, I love the fact that it set up the in for Loki's Disney plus series where the minute that the, in the movie, the minute that like you, he's the only one that notices the box with the test rack sliding and then it pops open at Lansner's foot. I was just like, Oh no. And then he bent down and picked it up and just bloop out of existence. Yeah. I'm like, Oh no. I'm like, Oh, is. that's so amazing. I'm like, Oh, what is he gonna, Oh, he's going to cause so much chaos. I love it. And it's like, whether it's this movie or another timeline or his series, I, I think that's a lot of fun too. And I also like that it's set up um, 
I think this movie did a really good job of tying off all the storylines it needed to, but leaving the door open just enough for all these new stories to happen in the future. An A-Force movie, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, um, Loki series, Guardians 3. I, I think there are a lot of little uh, doors that were cracked open. Not enough to for it to feel like a lot of Marvel movies where you didn't have a definitive ending, but just enough to know that, okay, like the future of the MCU is going to be in good hands. Like we, we have some really cool things that are happening in the future. Yeah. And we didn't mention Vision. I uh, forgot to mention that death, of course, that one stuck. And I think I can see the way that they, they're probably going to do the Wanda Vision show. There, I refuse some... to say that title. Yes, yes. I refuse to say that title. WandaVision. Uh, no, I think that I think that they can easily borrow things from the comics. I think they're probably going to do a reversal of when Vision basically has Talk resurrect Wanda. Yeah, uh, which is fine. But yeah, what? What about you, Matt? I, I know that you know you've you've said it plenty of times. The the Marvel films. I, I get this. I get the sense that after Infinity War, those stakes for you were like the status quo, right? But moving yeah, forward, is there anything you're? Can. Yeah, is there anything you're more excited about than anything else? So, like, is there a promise of another film, whether it be Spider Man Far From Home or another Black Panther that does have you more interested than you were expecting? Well, let me go back really quickly to what you were saying before, too, with, um, you know, finding this really interesting way to bring alternate reality characters back to replace the ones that have been dead. Because, again, I think Endgame handled everything very well. I think how the MCU handles bringing back people like Gamora at this point is going to it's going to be a very delicate balance, because in my mind, okay, you brought Gamora back after killing her. I totally get what you're saying. That death is permanent. That Gamora is dead. But now we have new Gamora who helps old or new Gamora helps future Nebula, who is back in time, stop Thanos. So she has that moment of like, the, like she kind of switches to the good side really quickly and she kind of just jumps back into the fray and she just goes from being, you know, Thanos's daughter who's helping him kill innocents and whoever um right back into being the superhero so i totally get what you're saying how they're two different characters and we're never gonna have the old gamora she's dead but now in my mind i'm like yeah but new gamora just went right back into being old gamora and i'm worried like you're saying alicia with um guardians 3 is it going to be another dick measuring contest as infinity war was or are we actually going to get a gamora development that acknowledges the fact that she doesn't have the old Gamora's memories right. and doesn't have the personality and doesn't have anything that made old, old Gamora, old Gamora. And that's what makes me nervous. I don't, I am nervous about how they handle bringing these characters back. And like you just said, a, a Natasha movie is coming. How are they going to handle that? So as long as they acknowledge I think the it's fact, be a prequel. I, I hope it is. And as I long hope as it's they like acknowledge, a mix. Yeah. Of like some prequel elements, but then, you know, some like passing of the torch, maybe to Florence Pugh, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. The passing of the torch stuff is what excites me again with Hawkeye's limited run and how he's going to pass the torch. Uh, I mean, that's what I'm more excited for. I'm super excited for Spider-Man far from home. I love the fact that we're getting, you know, all these new Spider-Man films with a Spider-Man that is young and will be around for a while. And I'm sure we'll get plenty of them and he's great at it. Um, yeah, I, I'm, 
just as excited for any Marvel movie as I was going to be. Endgame for me was a high point that I don't think will ever be reached again. I think I will say that. Um, but for me, I'm always stoked for my Guardians. I'm always stoked for Cosmic Marvel. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'm as stoked for the standalones. Um, if we're really getting a Doctor Strange 2. I didn't love Doctor Strange, so that doesn't really excite me that much. I think those characters, like Captain Marvel and Doctor Strange, are so much better served in the crossovers when they're not the focal point, but they are still a, a big part of the team. I'm glad you brought up Captain Marvel because I have mixed feelings on how they handled her in this. I, a lot of the time, I felt like they were writing around how powerful she is. To, and I was a little disappointed. I was like, why isn't she in the time heist? <laughs> you know, like, sure, well, she's they, a newer Avenger. She do but... everything. That's the thing. They have to write around that power because she can do it all. Well, this was also about the old Avengers. I mean, they yep. wrote out all of the new characters. Well, I was going to mention, and... but they have Scott in there and they have Rocket. So I was a little bit like, uh, they, they made some exceptions. Well, and they needed some way to turn everything around. I mean, Scott was the conduit to make everything yeah. happen. Which yeah. I appreciate I, I did, that part. I did like the moment, like the the literal uh, symbolic passing of the torch uh, when they were running the gauntlet, where it was Clint handed it off to the three new pillars of the mm-hmm. uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe moving forward, where it went to Black Panther, to Peter Parker, or to Spider-Man, to Captain Marvel. I really appreciated the visual symbolism of the torch, like literally being passed from the old generation to the new generation. And they say the Russos don't like visual storytelling. Come on. Yeah. I also, I'm sorry. I love Peter Parker so much just where he's laying there in the dirt, just like clutching the gauntlet to himself and he's (laughs) half concussed. I'm like, this poor kid has had so much like head trauma in the Marvel (laughs) Cinematic Universe so far. Like he's just constantly, there's at least one shot in every movie of him just like flat on his back in the dirt, just bloody and dirty and kind of half dazed. But I I really appreciate that little moment between him and and Captain Marvel. I am really confused though for Spider-Man Far From Home because I I hope they explain this. Because it does feel a little convenient. In the prologue where he showed up, I was like, oh, okay. So did all of his friends happen to be also snapped? So they returned right back to high school. Because if not, then Ned would have graduated by now. Which I thought was so. weird because when <laughs> yeah. I saw that, I, when I, my first thought was like, oh, this is a fun way to make Betty Brant older than them because she's supposed to be older than Peter Parker. Yeah. But in the trailer, that's not the case. So I was like, oh, okay, what are they trying to do with this? I'm a little, it does feel a little convenient, a little contrived, but I, I'm well, holding out hope that it's going to pan in out the fine. In the other podcast I was on, Aman said that he thought he had read somewhere that all of Peter's friends had also been part of the the decimated. And I was like, Okay, that's convenient. Can can but, we erase I mean, decimated? Okay. I'll 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 roll with it, but I'm just like, okay, that's awfully convenient. But well, I mean, that's this whole movie though. It's a lot of very convenient things right. that have it's, to happen conveniently. The, <laughs> the entire like, thing is a Batman utility belt. Like it really yeah, is. Exactly. And I just rolled with that. I'm like, okay, like that's doesn't make sense, but I'm just gonna go with it. Like that's fine. I'm I'm so well, enjoying this movie. Like it didn't take away from my enjoyment. But there was a lot of willing suspension of disbelief that needed to happen. Right. That like Dr. Strange of the 14 million possibilities. He was like, well, in this one, a rat saves the entire universe, Um, basically, uh, because otherwise that's how Scott Lang gets back um, through the quantum thing. So 
there are a few stretches there, but that, like you said, it, it's not in a bad way. Like it's nothing that makes me hate the movie. If anything, it's it's just stuff that makes it feel it fits the, the sort of bonkers tone, the sort of Age of Ultron Hawkeye. Like none of this makes sense. Um, I think they've managed to slide into that tone when they need to to sort of save themselves from the movie just falling flat for people. And I'm impressed. I'm impressed that you can have those crazy, stupid moments. That whole thing of like. Just the core Avengers, that's who didn't get snapped? Okay. Just Peter's friends, they they did get snapped? Okay. That serves future movies, I guess. But you just, I guess you just sort of have to go with it. it well, and that's a- Natasha's little line of just like, I'm getting emails from Raccoon. Like, oh, that's right. This world is <laughs> oh, crazy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It also kind of impresses upon me because like the nitpicks I have are so small that it really kind of underscores just how well uh, Marcus and McFeely did it, it with the script mm-hmm. and how well the Russos did with handling just this enormous 3D chessboard and all these pieces that the, I mean, granted anything, anytime you're dealing with, with time travel, it's always going to be messed up. So I'm not even looking at the time travel, but just like, I'm impressed at how well this is balanced and how they did manage to tie up all these loose ends that the nitpicks I have are very much just small, like minor things, not even that took me out of the movie, just like, oh, it doesn't really make sense, but okay, like whatever, I'll roll with it. Yeah, and I think the stuff that outweighs the nitpicks is just as important because, you know, in a lesser film, I would have walked out having all those questions like, yeah, did Peter's friends really all get decimated? Um, But no, I walked out of Endgame, you know, just that final battle scene alone, there are just so many memorable moments. And I just sat there in awe of the fact that, like you said, it's a 3D chessboard. And for some for some act of God, act of some miracle, uh, the Russos make every right move. And it's just something that you marvel. And at the end of the film, you just sit there going like, I don't even care if none of that makes sense. Like that was everything I wanted. Yeah. It, this is the time when the Doctor Strange saw these all. It all had to come together yeah. to make Endgame. Yeah. This was the one out of how many billion exactly? I wish so, I do wish that end fight had been longer though. I could oh, have I could have done with that being longer. Yeah, I just so many fun little things like Spider Man going into insta kill mode. Like you yeah. said, the, the females of the MCU yeah. when they just go ape shit. I'm like I could have I, like you. I wanted a, a whole movie of just that. Well, I, I, I mean, they, that was what they're teasing as an A Force movie. So, which no, I, I am like, are they ever going to get there? I mean, like, they're teasing so many movies in this entire, in this yeah. entire one movie they've teased. Wake me up when She Hulk gets greenlit. Yeah. Oh, yes. Thank you. Right. <laughs> so, I want to zero in on two of the biggest characters in this Tony and Steve. I think that. Yeah, I I said this already. I think their characters working and getting their fitting conclusions to me was the biggest question mark. Like, can they pull this off? Like, can they kill off Tony Stark and effectively retire Captain America in a way that we is bittersweet, but in in the right way? Like, in the in the way that makes you feel like we fit the fitting end to these characters. For me, it did a hundred percent. I think that they the parenthood aspect of Tony Stark, him getting what he wanted all along, and the way they wrap him up really worked for me. But I was equally impressed with how they tied up Captain America, and not just the passing of the shield, but just ending it with that dance he has with Peggy. 
and to that song. Perfect way, in my opinion, to bookend a film that starts with somebody losing their family and then somebody with time travel and with shenanigans is able to get the life that he always wanted. That to me was when the movie really clicked, where the that it was about something that actually the very end. Yeah. It's the very end, but (laughs) three hours in. But you know what I mean? Of like that's when it crystallized of like, okay. It didn't just crystallize that the film was about parenthood and family. That was obvious throughout the entire movie. But the way it ends with Cap and Peggy really made me feel like more like it really was intentional or intentional for that to be the message of this movie. And yeah, that's that to me was something that just that that really landed with me personally. As somebody who who's not a parent, who has no interest in being a parent anytime soon, you can still really empathize with these, these people who just it is something that they want and I want it for them because it's what they want. And I, I just think, it, I just thought it was beautiful. So, but what did you guys think of Cap and Tony? Did you think this is the right way to end their story? I think that they did end it the right way. And I will say I was also slightly surprised for some reason. I walked into Endgame thinking the reverse was going to happen. I thought Cap was definitely going to die and Tony would be alive when this is, you know, retired, but alive. So I will say that I was pleasantly surprised in a way um, by the ending. And I also agree with you. It is entirely the fitting cap on the phases that we've had so far with the passing of the shield to Falcon, obviously, or not Falcon anymore. Um, and They'll Tony, still have the wings you know, if they do it from the comics. Oh. Mm-hmm. This is true. Okay. I, I didn't want to say speak out of turn, but <laughs> that makes me more excited. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and then Tony too, you know, not only do we get Pepper Iron Man, which is rescue, rescue, rescue in the comics is her name. Perfect. Thank you for filling me in. (laughs) See what I mean? Like this is, I'm an outsider to this entire world. Like I knew that would eventually be a thing, but again, we get all of that together and both Peter and Pepper, like their last moments with Tony are much more giving uh in the drama that we see between those characters and i think we could have gotten from a captain america death so i do think they played both of the uh you know the aging of captain america and the death of tony stark i I think those were the right things to do yeah i um i think it was handled really well i i was a little bit like you matt i i thought it'd be the other way around because I thought Tony would retire and I thought Cap would be the one to sacrifice himself. But then I thought about, I was like, no, they've, they've been setting up Tony sacrificing himself since the first Avengers. So I guess it doesn't really surprise me. Um, I wasn't as, I mean, I definitely cried. Don't get me wrong. I cried a lot during this movie. Um, I especially just like bawled at Peter Parker is just him crying about Tony. Um, cause I love that kid. Um, but I was way more caught off guard by Natasha's death than Tony's because again, they'd been building up to it for so long. And I, I genuinely love that they gave cap his moment with, with Peggy Carter at the end, because it's like, man, if any character has earned a break, it is the guy that, like you said, in the beginning of the movie, like I, you know, met the love of my life back in 1940, whatever. And then he sacrificed himself to save the world. And so I love that that arc kind of came full circle. I love that they brought Peggy back because she is the progenitor of much of the MCU. She is the one that built and and um, founded S.H.I.E.L.D. 
So I, I really enjoyed that. I, I have some questions like how he turned old because in the comics, his, the super soldier serum literally got sucked out of his body. But how did that happen in the past? That was another thing that was like, mm, okay, I'm just not going to think too closely and look too closely at that. But yeah, I you really have to assume um, like that, that to me is another sort of thing. If he ever wanted to do like an offshoot or an explanation of like, what has he been up to in that alternate timeline he goes to? They could answer mm-hmm. that question. They could answer, okay, how does he get back to the main timeline to say goodbye? So the, they could do all kinds of shenanigans. Yeah. and But I also like that moment there where it, in hindsight, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. Like he and Bucky clearly worked this out ahead of time because Bucky said, you know, I'm going to miss right, you. Yeah. And at the time when I watched it the first time, I was like, oh, okay, this is just because he's, you know, if something goes wrong or whatever, or they're kind of forgetting that it's only going to be five seconds for them. Um, but then when Cap gave... Sam the shield and he looked at um, Bucky and Bucky nod. I'm like, Oh, okay. This was clearly something that Steve had worked this out with his best friend beforehand and said, I'm going to, I'm not coming back. I'm going to go find Peggy. And then Bucky very likely said, I don't want the shield, give it to Sam. And they, you know, that's fine. Give it to Sam. So I thought that was interesting as well. That There was a lot more subtext in this movie than I expected. Yeah. I agreed all the way. Uh, I think that's, we we I, I definitely was a little bit confused because it's like, wait, doesn't time travel work? Like, and it is one of those movies where you have to sort of sit with it and be like, well, you, you can sort of come up with your own explanations and, and write them in and they'll have a field day with, you know, I, I was saying this bef- uh, earlier in the episode, like videos that will be like ending explained. Uh, how did Captain America do this? How did that? All that stuff doesn't really matter. Like what matters is the emotional journey, the way it ends, the fact that he does get to say goodbye as old man Cap. And, and that's what got to me. One thing that surprised me with how emotional, the first time I'm actually like tearing up a bit, weirdly enough, was Scott Lang hugging his daughter. With Cassie? Yeah. Scott, oh, yeah. oh my God. Paul Rudd. I that looked at that and I was me. like, I want to see him in more drama because his face, there were 27 yeah. different emotions that played over his face in a, like a 10 second span. And just the look of, he just had that look on his face of just a man who's just overwhelmed and trying to process everything that has hit him in the last like half hour. Um, and he sold that for me. And that was, that was the first time that I definitely like cried like hard, like openly cried in the theater. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I just, it, it's a big credit to how good those first two ant movies are at really establishing this really unique and loving relationship between the father and daughter. It's something that, I have criticized the movies before in the past for not doing a better job of linking it to Hank Pym and his daughter. Like they kind of do it, but it a little, it's a little sloppy. So to see it in here, just really pay off in that way of like, man, you love both of these characters. And yeah, it's, it's all those emotions at once. And I was like, Oh, what are we in for right now? Because that's when this movie really made me feel like this matters to these characters. Like you were saying before, Alicia, and that's what made me care. <laughs> like That's what made me feel like they, they've got to do something to fix this. Now, the idea of them going back in time, the idea of them going on the time house, uh, as everyone's calling it, of course, what, what, do, what do you think, Matt? I, do you think this was, out of all the 14 million ways the Russos could have reset or fixed, I guess, Infinity War, do you think time travel is the way to do it? Or do you think, uh, do you think that was maybe an element you think could have been better? 
Okay, can I first ask, as an outsider, um, in the actual comics, is it the same time heist? Is is that how it happens? No, no. they they haven't they haven't adapted anything directly from the comics. Like the Infinity okay. Gauntlet storyline in the comics was very different. Okay. Uh, in the comics, Thanos literally he had a crush on Death. Yeah. Like the, okay. the, the, uh, the the personification of death, Lady Death, and he wiped out half of the world to basically impress or half the universe to impress her. And it happens that at the was, beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And okay. so it's it's very, very different than the comics. Okay. Okay. So then just approaching it from the sense that, yes, if the Russos had a plethora of options, let's say, to bring the or to re redo the snap, I guess we'll call it. I mean, I still don't get how else you would do it. I mean, time travel is really the only way at that point because you don't have Stephen Strange in the picture anymore. Mm-hmm. The only thing you can use is the quantum realm because Scott Lang is stuck there. Um, and it's like basically like a, a mouse trap contraption to it actually is a mouse that gets him out. I don't even mean that. <laughs> it's there like a go. domino effect <laughs> of um, stuff that gets him back into the world. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see a way around the most ridiculous possibility being the one that works. And again, this is an Avengers movie. I agree with everything we said to this point in the sense that we're living in this world where the ridiculous is reality. And if you're going to go out with a bang in Endgame, as you have to, because this is the culmination of 22, what is it? 22 movies at this point? 22. Yep. So 22 movies leading to this point, you're not going to pick the most mundane option. You're not going to make it the easiest way for them to get through this, even though I think it is pretty easy how they figure out time travel. It, it's like, <laughs> let me run one more scenario. Just, you know, let's Tony's do like, this won't even work. Yeah. yeah, this won't even work. Oh, my God, it works. Like, no, of course, it's going to work. But but still, to me, they added the right level of audacity into this world, even at this point, and still grounded it in some kind of sympathy and emotion and all these things that we left feeling for how ridiculous a sci-fi adventure it is. So I think it's handled fine. I also think they backed themselves into a corner where this was probably the only option they had. I I do. I just, I wish I had been in the room when somebody had figured out, okay, what if these characters fix the snap by going back in time? And it's an excuse for us to go back to all of these other movies and really celebrate you know, it really reward fans for watching them and rewatching them and having a Netflix account and watching them that way. And, and being able to like, even with Thor, the dark world of all of the movies, getting to play around with that and, and be metatextual about it and, and have Thor, like one of my favorite moments explaining the ridiculousness of the dark world. And the only person there is who is even interested in it is Scott Lang. Scott. He's so excited. He's just like, yeah, tell me more dark elves. What? But yeah, that's all I want to say is like that. That to me, what a fun idea. Like somebody must've just, it it just must've been such a great, like aha moment of, wow, this, this option seems really fitting. If you do look at the MCU as this episodic, you know, almost television sequence of events, um, this is the clip show in a way. Like Endgame is their clip show. The Russos did the community clip show that kind of is like this. Exactly. I just, I that just, just dawned say, on me. Yeah, Son of I was a just going to bring it back to community. I was like, this is what they do. You know, this is the end of their run. And they're going out going like, look at everything we've done. They've reshuffled the deck. They've done a highlight reel. And they've also gotten us excited about the future in one epic, epic film. So it's like, to me, 
again, that is one of the more impressive aspects of Endgame. You recapped, you changed the trajectory of the entire MCU, and you've also gotten us so excited about what's going to come. And yeah, to do that with the clip show element, God bless the Russos. Mm-hmm. And and Marcus and McFeely. Uh, right. Yes, Chris yes. And Mark and Steve McFeely. I was going to say we haven't discussed uh, clearly the best part of the movie, which is America's ass, which is <laughs> easily the best joke in the entire movie. I laughed. I, I really, really appreciate that they allowed uh, Steve Rogers to be a little a little uh like he, sw- he swore a lot in this movie uh, yeah like the oh, scene okay cheeky matt like, donato just, uh-huh. <laughs> come on oh god i hate you you're fired I'll see myself out uh just, but just his delivery like that is america's ass and the the scene where he's like you gotta be shitting me and he looks up and sees himself younger Which, self who drops the whole i could do this all day he's like yeah i know like i love like i just laughed yeah. like i thought I, I was like man i would have i would love to see more i would have loved to have seen more of deadpan uh captain america because i i just i really appreciate that they let him uh, he went he was a little loose in this movie and i i really like that and that's the reaction to the entire you know his entire arc over mm-hmm. all the films though too so you know we don't get to deadpan cap without mm-hmm. giddy super positive cap you know he, yeah. so many years of him being that and then finally he's just he's been defeated he literally has been defeated in battle and finally we get the cap that like you just said you got to be shitting me cap like i would have loved more time with him but this is his fitting mm-hmm. end of an arc the way he delivered the line that's a baby like i just i was like oh i, I just <laughs> that's a baby I, yeah i just loved all of it and i i mean i i think chris evans is one of those uh, actors who it's like now I can't imagine anybody else playing that role the same way I can't imagine anybody else's as Iron Man like I, I cannot imagine anybody else in those roles I really can't um, and, uh, yeah I just uh, could you imagine him like could you, I just no. I couldn't like I like him I, I don't know how that would have went yeah I agree with you after watching Endgame there was no other choice for Captain America. And you know what? I'll say that about a lot of the characters in the MCU. Um, if you go down the line, I think they have done such a tremendous job with casting across the board. They've found the best person in almost every scenario. And for most of these characters, they have just become who we now associate the actors with. Yeah, they cast really well. I, I will say that, that I think the MCU across the board and even across the TV shows, yep. they have done, especially Netflix, they have just done an enormously good job of just nailing like there's there are very few castings that I have ever disagreed with and the one that was questionable they replaced with Don Cheadle so there <laughs> yeah. you go yeah. um, immediate upgrade no Which no it worked out Taren, extremely Taren, well but yeah do do we know whether or not Rhodey is is still going to be around is he going to be kind of a mentor role because it's it felt like to me this movie ends with him sort of being done but and I know Don Cheadle probably is man I hope so because I I love Rhodey's snark and dead like so he's an idiot like I I think he had some of the more underrated lines in the movie yeah uh, and I I really liked I, I I just love Don Cheadle like he's such a he's such an underrated actor I think yeah I hope he's always around I I do in some capacity maybe not I, fighting maybe not being a soldier but I do hope he's around at least training. I wouldn't be surprised if we got some cameos from some of the movie actors in the Disney Plus series, similar to what they did in the first season or two of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to kind of get that off the ground. 
where True. you had like Maria Hill and uh, Nick Fury show up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw like in Falcon and Winter Soldier, I wouldn't be surprised if Rhodey showed up or a couple of the, you know, Avengers. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. If we've got some cameos to kind of tie those more closely together. That's why I'm hoping that the Disney Plus shows that they're doing are going to be a little bit more inclusive, or maybe not inclusive, maybe they're going to do a better job of integrating those TV shows, and with, not just with each other, but with the movies, because that, that is something that's sorely been missing. And it does seem like a great opportunity for the Hawkeye show and the Wanda show, and you know maybe you have a revamped Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that actually does what the first season kind of was starting to do and they sort of dropped it and i i still really like agents of shield as a show it's it's really fun it's really watchable it's great sort of like joss weed and firefly replacement if you look at it in a certain way but it's farther and farther drifted away <laughs> i does not agree you it, well, I, I agree some seasons absolutely yes other seasons eh, uh okay. yeah one or i consider sure. one or two seasons pretty miss and then the other one's pretty hit and i think the most recent one has been more than solid it's just yeah i i I definitely i could see them hit the reset button on that that show for just for example and if they could integrate more of the like mainstream marvel stuff and make just make it feel like these consequences actually reach into those other things and i know uh, a lot of people really love that Patrick Willems video where he goes into detail about the limitations of the Marvel Cinematic Universe on YouTube. That's like the name of it. And one of it, one of his criticisms I really agree with is that you, you don't have enough of the interstitial stories to flesh out the consequences of the big crossover movies. And I don't know what the next phase really looks like beyond a few more sequels. But in terms of the crossover events, I don't know what they're going to be able to do, but I hope that they use this opportunity to bring about these shows that can flesh out the fallout of these events. What does it mean, the the snapping or snapshot or whatever you want to call it? How does that affect life five years later? You can do these little stories in between that kind of flesh that out for the fans, and then the big crossover movies can march on forward and make tons of money for Marvel and Disney. But yeah, that, that that's my biggest hope right now. I suspect Doctor Strange 2 will have a very important part to play in the MCU moving forward because for me personally, and this is just me like fan theorizing here, um, Doctor Strange is the perfect movie to open up the door for the X-Men entering the MCU because he's the one that plays with time travel and dimensions and alternate realities. I mean, it would be pretty easy to write a story not easy i'm not gonna say like get on that scott derrickson uh you should be able to write this uh i'm but it there's the possibility of being able to open up the the storyline to like maybe in one of those 14 bajillion um realities dr strange saw maybe there was one where he saw the fantastic four or the x-men were in a different reality and he was like who the hell is that and he goes off and explores and voila now the x-men are fantastic four in the mcu and that sets up an avengers versus x-men which i feel like if they're going to do a big overarching storyline down the road maybe not immediately Mm -hmm. i feel like avengers versus x-men is the way to go you could easily see yeah one reality like okay this is the one where captain america goes and marries peggy okay what happens 20 years later the 60s that's where fantastic four can come about because that is a completely different timeline because Steve knows so much about the Tesseract and maybe he makes a move or he's tempted to do something uh, that prevents Hydra from taking form, but the result is the Fantastic Four show up. You could easily see in the timeline where Loki escapes 
and the dark world takes its form. You could see that maybe being an instigant for all kinds of craziness that they can weave in Wanda and Vision. So uh, who knows? <laughs> I, I think that, yeah, we're, we can all agree that the options are infinite. Uh, and uh, that's probably a good thing uh, for now. But all right, uh, I think we, we've really covered it here. And uh, I just want to do kind of end on what, what was like, what are a couple of your favorite moments to kind of wrap it all up for you? Uh, real quick, I just have a couple here written down. Uh, I've mentioned a few of them already, but the five years later moment when it just slowly reveals that five years have passed, we haven't really covered that, but that's when I was in. That's when I knew this movie was going to really hit us hard <laughs> in a way that I certainly wasn't expecting. Uh, I also, I loved Credible Hulk, Professor Hulk, whatever you want to call him, bantering <laughs> with Scott Lang. And making I, Ant-Man I, feel I, bad. I deeply appreciate the Credible Hulk reference. Thank you. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, everybody loves Credible Hulk. Uh, fan favorite. <laughs> um, the 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 moment when Time Heist becomes a thing, and I absolutely adore it. Like, yes, this is going to be a heist movie. That's the perfect way to do this. And I know that, uh, I, I believe it was either Feige or the Russos had sort of said that uh they maybe implicated or implied that Infinity War was going to be a heist movie. And a lot of us were really confused because we watched Infinity War. It was like, well, this isn't a heist. And so apparently they were really referring to the whole thing as, you know, Endgame, really. So I, I appreciated that. Uh, I really appreciated Peter Quill singing like an idiot um, and recontextualizing yeah. oh God, Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy. There is another timeline who, what, what do you do with that timeline where the Guardians never meet uh, Gamora? And... Thanos is dead in that timeline. So what happens there? So that's that's an interesting rabbit hole. Uh, and then, or rocket hole. And then uh, Cap saying, oh, oh yeah, I had, to, I had to do it. Cap saying Hill Hydra in the elevator. That was one of the that was biggest amazing. cheers. Yeah. That was such a, yeah. I think that was in my theater, like the biggest, like everyone gasping moment, <laughs> which I absolutely loved. Well, uh, I but, also thought yeah. in that scene too, which is great. Um, I thought it was just going to beat the shit out of everyone. And we we're going to get an homage to the uh, right. first elevator yeah. scene. It's so, building yeah, up to that. Such a good moment. Yeah. I also love that that was Marvel just straight up trolling all the just insane fans that gave <laughs> like poor Nick Spencer death threats for yeah, a year yeah. after he wrote that storyline. So, right. Great, great nods to the I comics they, and the situation. Yeah. yeah. Those were most of my favorite moments too. I, I really appreciated, like I said, the moment with Scott Lang and Cassie where his face just, he just sold it. Like his whole face just at that moment, I was just like, holy crap. Like that was the moment I went, oh my God, what would it feel like to come back after five years, but for you, it's only been a couple of hours and find that everything is devastated. You've lost five years of your daughter's life like, and having to process that all at once. Like that to me is, that to me was a really powerful moment. I thought they sold it better I than loved, Interstellar probably. Huh? Yeah. I loved the scene with, uh, with Natasha and Steve, like it, it cemented their bond and they've always been my favorite friendship in the NCU is mm-hmm. uh, Nat and Steve where he walks up and sees her crying. He's like, you know, I'd make you dinner, but you already seem miserable enough. And then she, that the two of them are the only two Avengers that ever let their guard down near each other because they have such respect and, and platonic love for one another that she's always been Steve's rock and emotional support because he carries the weight of the team on his shoulders. And he's the only one that she allows see her in that state where she's not the cool collected Natasha. So I love, yeah. Did I love the moments like him picking up the hammer? Hell yeah. Did I love the moments like the a four shot? Yes. Mm -hmm. I loved all of that, but I, I really truly appreciated those character beats 
and that they were allowed to breathe on the screen in a way that they're not often allowed to in the, the other Marvel movies. It's, real quick, it's so understated how much I really appreciate the way the Marvel films let platonic love be a thing. <laughs> and Black Widow not only has like a deep non-romantic bond with Captain America, she also has it with Hawkeye. And it just shows you, like, I think it's it's a great, it, there's there's kids watching this, there are teenagers watching this who need that lesson of like, boys and girls can be really great friends and like they don't have it doesn't always have to be a love story it doesn't always have it doesn't always have to be drama it can just be something real and human which that's real life right so i i really really appreciate that so i agree 100 percent uh i i had sorry two more things uh okay i i appreciated ty simpkins showing up a yes. lot uh-huh. I, yes. the iron man yep. 3 yeah. reference was great uh i i and the biggest biggest everyone in the theater losing their minds was when the camera pans out and captain america is joined by everyone the portal scene and all of a sudden you see all the avengers coming out and when he says avengers assemble people got up out of their seats stodgy film critics in san francisco could not stay seated during this moment (laughs) that that is saying a lot so and then matt uh what about you oh sorry yeah Oh, go ahead, Alicia. I was going to say, just real quick, the, speaking of that moment, I think the, one of the most beautiful shots I've ever seen in the MCU was that wide-angle shot of Captain America just standing there on his own, facing down Thanos's army. That was such a gorgeous shot. It might have been one of my favorites in yeah. the entire 22 movies of the MCU is just that wide shot of him facing down Thanos's army alone. Matt, yeah. go. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think a few of mine have been said already, so I will go with a few that are off the top of my head right now. Um, number one, <laughs> it's going to sound so dumb, but the uh, Scott Lang sandwich scene where he's just yes. going on yeah. and on about just like the craziness. Like, I think I figured it out. Do you know the quantum realm, blah, blah, blah? Wait, can I have that sandwich? I'm really hungry. Like, just that <laughs> dumb little nod uh, to like, he's been gone a while. So like, that was a funny part. Um, I really enjoyed Hulk when or sorry the credible hulk when he goes back to avengers and he has to become the uh more (laughs) primitive hulk so you get ruffalo's character who's you know he looks like the hulk but he is bruce banner in brain and speech so he's just wandering around like throwing things like ah i'm the whole ah and like throwing a car and like throwing crap so that was another really good one um but you know then we can't ignore the scenes between Tony and his daughter and especially obviously love you 3000 that putting her to bed, that whole quote, you know, it's, it makes him so human in that scene. And it's something that, you know, we're used to the Tony that we've seen for so long. That's, you know, from Iron Man in the beginning, who is just into in for it for himself. Um, And again, we get Tony with, you know, Howard, and it, we get that scene going back in time. So I love all the opening of the doors with uh, going back in time and every character gets their emotional arc completely fulfilled. No matter how ridiculous it is, everyone gets their moment. So, yeah, I mean, this movie is just chock full of perfect little sign offs for all these characters we lived with for uh, so long. I also pre- appreciated Scott Lang and the tacos. Oh, the t- <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Right, the, yeah, there's Hulk an idiot sharing in the his. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. With, tacos last one uh i am inevitable i am iron man uh perfect his last words and you know really kicked off the cinematic universe uh great note to end out on and also 
uh, I took it as homage. The when the end credits had the sound of him of the clanking of the hammer. I didn't really take it as any other implication beyond that. I don't know if you guys did, but uh, otherwise, yeah, just just a great way to sort of respectfully, you know, put a pin a note on this entire 22 movie experiment by Marvel. And it, I am so appreciative of Iron Man being a good movie because that single movie working out and John Favreau and his team making that movie work and the studio actually putting the investment into it and making it good. <laughs> is and robert downey jr of course uh, really making that character come alive is the reason we have everything else that's happened afterward uh, including the dark universe so i i'm a very appreciative of all of that so uh, obviously tongue-in-cheek i uh, had to make fun of the dark universe at least once this entire thing but all right uh, other than that uh, i guess we've really covered it thank you both so much for coming on and De- helping matt decompress <laughs> i'm sure you're still processing this movie but it's really great to hear that you enjoyed it not enough rocket. No, never uh, enough rocket. Uh, that is a forever. Okay, not a, not enough not enough negativity. We got we have to end with a negative statement. So I, that's fine. That's good. oh no, I'm just saying that's what Matt. Uh, I, I was surprised he didn't say that. Oh oh oh, oh gotcha, gotcha. I mean no no we we did get it. I mean I always want more rocket, but we we got our rocket. I got my little sad rocket at the beginning between him and Nebula, so we're good. And he got his costume from the comics, which I was like, oh wow, Heck hey, yeah. they did that. That's fun. Yep. All right. Well, that will oh, wait, do also, it. Can I make one more? Can I make oh, one no, more please, please. Go ahead. <laughs> At the end, though, I just love how, you know, it's Tony's funeral and it's this everyone's wearing black, obviously. And you pan to the Guardians of the Galaxy and they're all just wearing their costumes just in black right. forms. And I'm like, did Peter Quill really just get an entire like leather jacket, black ensemble made like you can just wear a suit? <laughs> it's kind oh, of in yeah. character, I guess. Now you can end, John. I don't know why I had to point that out, but I just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, Peter Quill's fashion is very important, actually. So I'm, I was, I'm definitely respectful of that. All right, well, that will do it for us this week. Uh, thank you again, Alicia and Matt, for coming on. Next week, we are talking Long Shots, The Intruder, and who knows what else. It's going to be kind of uh, kind of be tough to, to top this weekend in terms of big event movies, but we'll be back next week. We'll see you next time.